Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. Parents are heading off for the day and they're leaving home a house full of kids and the older are set in charge of the younger. Jobs are given, chores are dispersed, and as the parents are parting, one last word is given. Each one of you look out after the other. Kind of like they're saying, if anything bad happens, you're all responsible. Kind of like Hebrews 12.15, where God says a word to everyone in the church. Look carefully after one another, lest anyone fall. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Isn't that true? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weakened knees. Buck up under God's discipline. Get your chin up. He has something positive in mind for you. He's not just trying to make you feel miserable. He has a good outcome in in store for you. And straighten the paths of your feet. Don't run around looking for people to feel sorry for you and looking for a way out from God's discipline. Accept it and straighten your path. That is, walk towards the goal God has for you to be the kind of person God wants you to be. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And there, what I'm saying is that what is lame is not a reference in the Greek just to the individual that's under discipline. It's to the people around you. So that those who are hobbling around you also may get on the right direction, the right path that God wants them to be on. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And here are the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. It says, see to it. By the way, the word see to it is the word that we get the word bishop from or elder or what's called the overseer. God appointed in these little churches that were being formed individuals whose job was to watch over them like a father or a parent watches over the children. They were under shepherds and that was an official position. But here in this passage, it's basically saying to everybody in this fellowship and everybody in the Christian community, they're to be doing that job as well. They're to be looking into and see to the lives of not only their own lives, but everybody around to them. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Or in the New King James or King James says, no one falls short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, so that by it many become defiled. And that no one who is a fornicator, or here in the ESV, sexually immoral or unholy, Like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Well, here's kind of the question that we should ask at the very beginning of considering this passage. And actually kind of going back to verse 14. But it's, what should the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ look like to those who are standing outside of its saving power. In other words, there's a message that we believe in the church that we believe transforms our life and puts us in a right relationship with God and actually grants us the hope and the promise of everlasting eternal life with the Lord Jesus forever and ever. An uninterrupted fellowship with Him of blessing and benefit in which our souls go on eternally to enjoy all of His goodness. There's a way that God brings us into that goodness, which we call the good news. And the question is, we believe that. We accept that. We profess that that's what we have entered into through Jesus Christ. 
what does that look like for the person who hasn't entered into that? But they just live around people who have. They can look into our lives and the lives of those who by faith have embraced this Christian declaration and by faith have declared that well, we believe this is true. What would they see? What should they see from us? In other words, what should we expect a lost man or woman to see emanating from the life of a saved man or woman? What should we expect an unbeliever to see from the life of a person who says they are a believer? What should the children of professing Christians say was the hallmark of their homes and the lives of their parents? What did they learn? What did they glean from the experience of living in the home of professing Christian parents? What should your neighbor or an employer of a professing Christian say was the manner of that person as they worked or they lived among them? I'll tell you what the author of Hebrews says. The author of Hebrews says that the thing that they should be able to say, the thing that should be emanating from the lives of professing believers, is that they were people content and at peace. They were at peace, they were keeping peace, they were making peace. They were a source and a presence of peace and contentment and wholeness in our fractured community. And though they didn't show off and make a a show of it, there was something that marked them as different in moral character. They were ones who stood out among us because of a basic righteousness or goodness. It was there. It was kind of like the foundational expression of their life. Let's back up for a second. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, promises that those who believe in Jesus Christ and accept that Christ has come and died for their sins and risen to bring forgiveness of that sins and bring new life into them, that those people who have come and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ enter into a relationship with God where they're reconciled to God and they find peace and wholeness in God. They were actually made to be in relationship with God and when they're not in relationship with God, their lives, their very spirits are fractured and when they they come to Him, they find their spirits and their lives are knit together. The gospel of Jesus Christ then promises that those who believe in God in this way are set apart by God. They're set apart from the world so that God can use them and fill them and be present in their lives and that they're set apart as holy before God. That is, that they're uniquely set apart to be distinctly for God's purposes and God's design and God's delight and God's presence. They're set apart. They're holy. And in that set-apart state, God comes and puts His life into them so that God actually pours into their life His own holiness, His own goodness, His own moral purity, so that they can be holy in the world in which they live. If it's true... Then the Christian, so now what you need to do is because you are now at peace with God and now you're holy before God, now in the world you live, you're you're to pursue or you're to strive to make that relationship with God known to the people around you by living at peace with others. You can be at peace with others because you don't need anybody to satisfy you. I, I don't need to demand you provide for me the wholeness that I want in my life, the contentment I need in my life. Because you know what? I'm whole and content in God. I have everything I need in Him. And You can't add to that contentment and that wholeness. So I don't make demands of you to make my life better. I'm at peace with you. And not only that, I can make peace with you. 
without me negotiating terms. Well, here's what you do. You just do what I want. You submit to these expectations and then I'll be at... I don't, I don't have to do that. I'm just at peace with you. I'm at peace with you because I have peace with God. That's what we're to pursue. And not only that, I live a life of holiness before you because God is living in me. The Christian doesn't live their lives striving to become holy. We are holy. God has set us apart from our sins by forgiving us and cleansing us and pouring His life into us. We don't try to become holy. We are holy. But what we do is we try to live out or give expression to that holiness in the world around us. We strive to be what we are. We strive to live up to what it is that's in us by God's great work in our lives. In this way, we go before the world as ones who are at peace with God, and we go before the world as ones who are holy before God. Let's go back to the question we asked at the very beginning. It's this. So what do we do when that gospel which promises peace and holiness to the individual and promises, as a result of peace and holiness, the possibility of that peace and holiness being expressed to others around that individual, what do we do when those claims are not backed up by the life of the Christian? What do we do when the Christian is not living at peace with anyone around them or with himself or not expressing peace? When they are living their lives thinking that there's something missing and I can't be happy until I have this and this and this and I can't be complete. What do we do when they're not living holy lives? When they're making the profession, but that's not the impression that they're making on their neighbors or their sons and daughters or on ourselves. What do we do? How do we respond to that? What do we do when we have the profession, but we don't seem to have the possession of these things? When we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk? Well, according to our text, the failure to live lives that back up the gospel threatens to bring three devastating results. It says, look out lest, look out lest, look out lest. Look carefully into your lives, guard against certain these results because if they're not there and they continue on and that begins the kind of record of your life, it's going to have a destructive impact on all those around you. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look more fully into that and we might not, like I said, be able to get to that. And so let me do this at least to, to establish what we want to be considering about this passage is let's consider three assumptions that are being made in the command to look out lest. Do you see that? There's the word, look out lest, and then there's another lest, and then there's another lest, unless. Look out unless this happened. Looks out unless this happened. Looks out unless this happened. Look over your own life is what it's saying. Look over the lives of others is what it's saying. So let's look at three things that we can assume just from this command to look. We won't have time, I don't think, to consider what happens if we fail to be careful in looking over our lives and others in this way, and we'll do that next week. But the first assumption here is that we are looking for the evidence of a life expressive of the peace and holiness which we just talked about. It's not saying, look out lest you fall. It's, the question then is, what are you falling from? Look out lest you do something negative. The question is not just whether it's a negative. What's the positive that you're supposed to be looking and comparing it against? And that comes in verse 14. It's you're looking for these things in comparison to a life that evidences to all those around you peace. And holiness. So the assumption here is that we're looking for the evidence of peace and holiness that only God can give. And here's the point here. We're to expect and encourage that the impact of God's saving work, God's free gift of 
turning us to himself and bringing us into a relationship with him as he takes away our sins is that it's going to produce in our lives evidence and also produce from our lives and evidence to others that we have peace and that our lives have been made whole and that God is living in us, making us holy. When God brings us under his chastening, by the way, when God disciplines his children, as we read about earlier, his design is to so work upon our lives so that we move into the pattern of behavior where we live expressive of that peace, where we live expressing that holiness, because he knows it's good for us and he knows it's good for others as well. When he sees that instead we're beginning to believe that there's something else that we need for us to really be satisfied in life, or when he sees that we're beginning to think that, well, I can do whatever I want to do. I can live any way I want to do, and if if I'm not hurting anybody else, it's okay. That's not holiness. Or when I think, you know what, what holiness really means to me is I follow a series of laws, and I do the best I can to somehow get God to like me and appreciate me and be satisfied with me. That's not holiness either. That's self-righteousness. When God sees that you're trying to live out your life in your own power and your own flesh to make you feel better than others or make you feel acceptable to God, He, he sees not a life of holiness. He, needs, he sees a life of pride and self-righteousness, and He'll discipline you. He'll discipline you. Thanks for joining us today at Bread of Life. This broadcast is a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Our desire for the Christian community of our area is to see growing believers committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. To that end, I trust that God is at work in your life. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. That's 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.